Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix back for another episode here on The Code. Like I tell you every single time, I really appreciate your time tuning in to listen to this episode. Uh, I'm really excited to bring another awesome interview here to you guys. I'm sitting with Dr. Kyle Sella. He too is a physical therapist. He's a strength coach, and uh, he is recording with me from his home in Idaho. And um, he was connected with me by a coworker. And uh, we're going to get into a topic about Palmer cooling today. So I'm excited to talk to you guys about that. Kyle, thank you so much, man, for joining me on The Code. Yeah, I really appreciate the invite. Looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, just to uh, brag a little bit on Kyle here, he's got two young kids. He's got to get off to school. We are recording this in the wee hours of the morning. The sun is not even up yet. So um, hopefully, hopefully this conversation goes really well and you guys get something out of this episode. But um, Kyle, can you give us a little bit of a background on yourself? You know, like me, you too are a physical therapist, but you know, where are you from? Where'd you go to school and do your training and everything like that? And how'd you get into what you're doing now? Yeah. So uh, I grew up in uh, Seward, Alaska, a little small town up in, up in Alaska. Ended up getting a bachelor's degree at Eastern Oregon University, where I tried to play a little small college hoops and uh, didn't last that long at the college game, but, but I'm a big basketball junkie. I was lucky enough to get into the Army Baylor physical therapy program. Uh, so I got my doctorate degree through Army Baylor and uh, so served in the Army for seven years. After uh, getting out of the Army and, and doing my time as a physical therapist on active duty, uh, I was able enough, again, to get super lucky and fortunate to get a opportunity to work with uh, Duke Athletic Medicine and in the, you know, the Duke uh, Sports Fellowship out there um, in the management of Division One athletes. Um, at that point, my wife and I uh, were having kids. Our second kid was on the way and we decided to get out a little bit closer to family. My wife's from outside of Boise, Idaho. So that took us out to Boise where I helped run the kind of sports medicine side of the house for St. Luke's, um, the kind of the largest uh, health provider in, in Idaho. And, and I also got to run our uh, sports residency program for new graduates who were interested in specializing in sports med. Uh, so ran that program for a few years and we kept uh, vacationing up here in Sun Valley, Idaho. And at one point we're like, man, we could, we need to try to flip this. Let's, let's, let's try to live in Sun Valley and visit our family in Boise area. So, you know, five and a half years ago, we moved up here and I work at a, at this incredible clinic um in a in, inside of a uh a health facility kind of it's a it's a big massive fifty thousand square foot uh, facility that has like a gym and a physical therapy clinic a, a, a pools everything you know, tennis tennis courts everything you can think of and you know just over you know i guess a year and a half ago i listened to a podcast about palmer cooling and that got me going down a rabbit hole and now i'm the owner of ava cooling technology Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, isn't it funny how, you know, the different turns that that life takes, I, you know, I'm sure because you just said you listened to it on a podcast a couple of years ago, you know, when you were in the Army Baylor program, whatever years that was, we probably didn't even know what the heck Palmer cooling was. 
And, yeah. and now you have a business based off of based off of that technology. So um, so you said you moved up to Sun Valley like five or so, five and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, pardon my geography. I've not actually been to Idaho. What is the where is Sun Valley in rel- relation to Boise? Like how far? What direction is that? Yeah, so we're we're like basically due east of Boise. If you flew here, uh, but you can't fly, you got to kind of go down and around. So we're in the, the south central mountains of Idaho. It's a ski town. It's a beautiful ski ski town. Uh, we live at like six thousand feet elevation. Um, mm-hmm. Super active community. You know, the ski resort lift is five minutes from my house. Uh, there's no there's no interstate near us, so it's a pretty secluded area. Uh, and we're we're just close to a lot of like fun outdoor things, and that's basically what I what we love to do as a family. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of a playground up here. Yeah. It sounds like it. Sounds yeah. like it. Well, um, you know, and that, that bodes well for, you know, getting into this type of business like you have, because, yeah. you know, I've been using this, um, charge bar, Palmer cooling bar that, that you sent up to me for the past several weeks. And, you know, I, I find it maybe unlikely that you would see this being used very much, at least right now, in a population that's not very active, that's not moving their body and pushing themselves. So it seems like it lends well to the type of um, area and facility that you're in. Now, in addition to being a physical therapist, you uh, do some strength coaching too. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, kind of towards the end of my army career, I was stationed in um, Savannah, Georgia, and we had Mm -hmm. a big uh, army ranger contingent um, on post with me. And I was the only physical therapist on post. And so I would start taking care of those guys. And they were kind of on basically like like a professional sports schedule. So they would deploy for four yeah. months, come home for seven months, redeploy. You know, some of the guys had 15, 16 deployments, um, shorter ones than like a normal army person, but basically like a professional season. And I started working with their strength coaches and just got started getting really involved. And, you know, I've always been into fitness, but really looking at like the sports performance side of the house from a from a tactical athlete standpoint. So that got me really interested. And then and then when I went to the Duke Sports Medicine Fellowship. I was working out of the athletic training rooms with, you know, a multidisciplinary team, but a big part of that team was the performance coaches, you know, especially when I started with Duke football and I found myself gravitating towards the strength room and and really picking their brains more than anything during my fellowship. I just felt like, you know, that's where us as physical therapists, maybe our schooling falls a little bit short of being able to take someone from a post-op situation, you know, making them safe enough, um, but then, you know, blending that into, into a performance realm. And I guess that's, that's just where I, I find my sweet spot is like being able to, you know, I always say like, my goal is like for my athlete to get done with physical therapy when they show up to their strength coach, you know, they don't have to be taught movement patterns. They don't have to be taught, you know, about intensities, work rest ratios, all that stuff that they're, that they're ready to go. They're ready to like jump into that strength training program. So that's always been a goal of mine. It's like, I want, I want that athlete to look like, you know, they're not coming from a physical therapist who's been doing, yeah. you know, you know, external rotation on their side, you know, uh, but, but they've actually been like doing some lifts. So, yeah. So at this point in my, in my, you know, I basically, I, I work for a certain number of hours for my employer right now as a physical therapist, but that's probably 50% personal training slash strength coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 50%, you know, clinical, you know, billing insurance, you know, typical physical therapy work. Got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's funny because um, my, my colleague, Nate Henry is who introduced us and I just had him on the podcast. His episode's not live yet as the recording of this. But um, he was talking about his time in um, physical therapy program and his early uh, career, his early positions and whatnot. And uh, he said a very similar thing to what you just said, that I think, you know, one of the ways that the 
as a general rule, the field of physical therapy often falls short is our ability to continue to progress and progress and progress exercise and performance prescription. And, uh, and I would agree too. Um, what I, what I remember saying to him when we were recording that was what I think physical therapists are the best at is regressing things and being able to find things for people to do, despite the fact that they have issues bothering them. And we can work through and work around those things. But then there becomes this point where a lot of times we struggle to work past it as a profession. And, um, you know, there still seems to be this chasm between where physical therapy ends and where performance begins in a lot of places, a lot of cities, a lot of facilities. So, yeah, I totally would echo what you just said. You know, you said you were in the Army for seven years, right? Thank you so much for uh, for your service. I know myself and all the people listening to this really appreciate that. So. Thank you for that. Do you remember, Kyle, the uh, the podcast that you listened to that got you introduced to Palmer Cooling in the first place? Yeah, so this took me down a year and a half now rabbit hole. Uh, so I was actually so it was in this is in the middle of summer. It was a July, I think it was mid July. There's a, again our ski mountains there, and you're allowed to like hike up and then take the lifts down. So that kind of saves your uh, that eccentric yeah. lift the way down. Totally. So it's a great workout. So I tend to like use a um, a weighted vest, uh, when I'm really trying to torture myself. And so I'm going up and I'm actually listening to Dr. Andrew Huberman, uh, but not yeah. on his podcast. He was actually talking to Joe Rogan on, yeah. on a podcast and, you know, Huberman is all about, um, human performance in a lot of different realms, but he starts talking about, you know, temperature regulation for one. And as a sports trained physical therapist, you know, temperature is, is, is taught in our sports medicine curriculum, but it's all about, preventing, you know, that getting to that 104 degrees and having, you know, a heat stroke, you know, that's basically, shut down, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so that basically is like, okay, let's, 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 let's be aware that we can have heat stroke or heat exhaustion and let's not like get people, but he's talking about it in terms of like, you know, what, what the impact is from a human performance standpoint is. And then he starts talking about Dr. Heller's research out of Stanford. So it's not actually Huberman's research, it's Dr. Heller's about using the palms of the hands to, to cool the body and how effective and efficient that is and, and the why behind it. And so that got me really intrigued because, you know, I was 13 years into my professional career at that point. I'm a pretty big nerd about human physiology and anatomy and, and, and training. And I had, I honestly had never heard of it. Um, and I was like, what is going on? And the numbers that they were talking about, he was talking about as far as improvement goes, I was like, this kind of sounds like BS. I don't, I don't know if this is true, but I, I got to try this. And, and again, I'm like, it's in the middle of summer, I'm dying of heat. So the whole podcast is really resonating with me. Like, you know, if I could do something to control my heat right now, I know I'd be able to go up this mountain faster at least. Um, and so I came home and started kind of looking around. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I had a feeling you were going to say that. I didn't know, you know, yeah. which episode, but I have um, had the opportunity to reference Andrew Huberman's podcast uh, a couple yeah. different times on episodes that I do. And, um, you know, one of the things that I remember talking about, I did an episode several uh, months back on uh, the benefits of cold exposure and exposing your body to cold, right. To ice baths and, and yeah. whatnot. And uh, one of the things I remember talking about, I remember hearing this on, on his episode on cold exposure was the palms, the, uh, the feet and part, portions of your face where this glabrous skin tissue is, yes. is, um, you know, because of where this heat transfer and temperature regulation takes place, you know, having your hands or your face, because of course your feet are typically in the ice bath already, but having your hands in there, dunking your head in there 
it makes it so much harder because your body is spilling more and more and more of the heat by exchanging it with that cold water. Yes. And um, I've experienced that totally myself. I could sit in an ice bath for several minutes if my hands are not in there, but if your hands are in there, it cuts that time down for sure. Cause it just makes it a little bit harder. I know you have this on your, uh, your website for Ava cooling technology, and we'll definitely link that in the show notes. But what I would love for you to do is, you know, if you, um, would be able to sort of summarize what some of that research is for us from Dr. Heller and that you have on your page, like Palmer cooling, as you just explained, it is using, holding something cool in the palms of your hands to decrease your body temperature, right? Yeah. Fill some of the heat from your body and dissipate some of that because it may produce some performance benefits. Yeah. But like go into that a little bit and explain how that works for us. So I think, you know, I think let's start off with, you know, Kind of the why behind this like so yeah. why do why do we fatigue right so i think that's always a good question to start with you know there's there's nutrition aspects there's recovery aspects as far as like sleep and all that stuff goes but i think something that i underestimated or maybe i never really considered well enough was um as we exercise there's byproducts of exercise and one of those byproducts of exercise is that our body temperature will rise and a rise in body temperature um, can become deadly again if we get up to that 104 degree range. But until that point, it's also going to begin to cause fatigue in our body. And it's postulated that you know there's probably like two primary ways that increasing body heat creates fatigue, right? And so there's one a muscle cellular level fatigue. So what happens as our muscle cell, our working muscle cells, increase in temperature? Um, there seems to be a change in the configuration of some enzymes in the muscle cell. And by changing the configuration, the muscle cell is less able to continue doing its job at such at it as an efficient rate. So our muscle cell. Okay. So at the muscle cell level, that rise in body temperature changes some enzyme configuration, makes the renders the muscle cell less able to continue doing its job. So that's one way heat um, can cause fatigue. I think that's kind of an easy concept to think of. And then there seems to be a more mental aspect of it. So our body temperature is primarily controlled at the hypothalamus. That's kind of the thermostat of our body. And that uh, it's kind of like, you know, taking in signals um, as we exercise or whatever the environment is and, and makes fluctuations, right? So we might start sweating. Uh, we might vasodilate in the periphery. We may start moving. It may tell us to stop moving. So whatever it is from a hot or cold situation, that's happening at the hypothalamus. So Dr. Heller says, okay, well, you know, if um, increasing body, so, so anyway, so, so as, as, as we increase at the brain level, um, increasing body temperature seems to decrease our motivation to want to continue training at that same level. And so, and this might be like an evolutionary type thing that we evolved with where, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're out, you know, as hunter gatherers trying to um, hunt in, 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 in hot weather, this may tell us to like, you know, Hey, we don't have, we have our, our body's just doing calculations the whole time. Like how much longer can we go at this level with this amount of food, with this type of heat before we have to shut it down. So, um, yeah. again, so going back to increasing body temperature from exercise, you know, has a, as this muscle cell level cause of fatigue, and then also a mental, uh, motivational level of fatigue. Um, sure. that's okay. So the, so there's like, there's like that central control, but then Dr. Heller describes that that glabrous skin is another area that we're in the periphery, we can really effectively uh, manage body temperature through what you said earlier, glabrous skin. And glabrous skin is the, is the hairless portions like on our, on our palms, on the hairless portions of our face and the soles of our feet. 
And it's not so much the glabrous skin, but what's going on underneath that glabrous skin is mm-hmm. this um, specialized network of blood vessels called uh, arterial venous anastomosis. Um, and our product's called AVA, but it's really AVA, so arterial venous anastomosis. And this is where the, your artery comes down, right? Brings blood out, and then it directly connects to a vein to create a circuit. And this is specialized in that in other parts of the body or most of the body, there's going to be a capillary bed involved there. And so as the artery comes down, blood goes into capillaries. That's where we let go of oxygen, grab CO2 and other metabolites. And, and, and we're kind of doing um, that exchange in, a, in an AVA. It's just a, it's just a direct circuit. So underneath the glabrous skin of our palms, face and soles, uh, we have this kind of circuit that is mainly used for temperature regulation. And what, you know, in the podcast, what really resonated with me and, and what I tell people is, um, you know, if you're hot at night, what's the first thing you do is you stick your foot out from underneath the color covers to dump heat, yeah. right? Um, or if you like were cold and you walked up to a fire, you immediately kind of stick the palms of your hand out towards the fire. Or this morning it's cold in my house. And so I have my hand around my warm mug of coffee because we can effectively um, accept heat or dump heat through those areas really efficiently. So mm-hmm. Dr. Heller says, okay, if exercise causes an increase in body temperature, increasing body temperature causes fatigue in a couple primary ways. And we've got these zones of our body that are highly effective and efficient at managing temperature. Like yeah. what happened, what happens when we use that on purpose to allow our body to more effectively dump heat, like between sets or between intervals or during a timeout of the game. And his early research, um, I think, you know, he talks about this classic like um, body weight dip study that I think he invited a couple 49ers players down because they were at Stanford. Um, so they come down and, and on day one, they're going to do, you know, kind of max reps, body weight dips with a three minute rest interval in between. And on day one, they do it with during that rest break. They don't do anything special. They just have, have the athlete rest. And uh, let's say that that athlete got 100 reps over seven sets. Five days later, they bring the athlete back in, uh, repeat the same study. And during that three minute rest interval, uh, they have them using their device is that they, they have the athlete Palmer cool um, during that three minute rest break. Yeah. And Dr. Heller didn't put a cap on how many sets you could do. You just like you tap out when you want to tap out, you know, you go to failure each set. And so in that second one, not only did the athlete get more reps per set, but the athlete didn't get that negative feedback loop to like just stop training. He just kept going on and doing more and more sets. And I believe what they, what they um, post, what they published was like a 60% improvement in reps completed in that second workout, which, oh, which is, smokes. yeah. When I heard that on Dr. Rogan or on, on Joe Rogan's podcast with Dr. Huberman, that's what it got me like 60% is like for, you know, and this is an NFL athlete. So this isn't someone who was like, you know, uh, out of shape on day one um, or, or brand new to the exercise. Um, so that's so I was like 60% is crazy. That kind of speaks back to the two levels of fatigue though. There's also there's that hey more reps per set like your your muscles aren't fatiguing as quick during that next set, but then also that mental like hey you're not getting that signal to hey like hey we better shut it down here. Um, let's stop working as hard and so he was able to do more sets as well. It's amazing the effect right that the mind has over the body. So whether it's because you know, it's hot, your body's getting hot, and there's a brain kind of motivational shutdown aspect where your brain is sort of subconsciously telling you, hey, we better back it off here because, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't evolve to exercise in a gym, we evolved to, like you said, hunt and do do things in nature. So, but, you know, that also kind of reminds me of that mental and motivational aspect kind of reminds me of 
I just read a study recently, or, or I didn't read the whole study, but I saw, you know, the summary essentially of a study that basically mentioned if you strength train and you're strength training, trying to hit like high percentages of your max, and you're trying to really lift heavy, that doing that after a lot of very mentally taxing activities, such as work or schoolwork or whatnot, you have a lesser ability to hit your high percentages. That's interesting. Because you've used up a lot of brain power and mental energy doing those highly demanding tasks. And, um, and then that may have a negative impact on your workouts. So one of the potential conclusions they came to was, you know, depending on what kind of mental tasks you have to do in your day, if you want to strength train very heavy, potentially do that in the earlier portion of the day, maybe not the first time, first, uh, you know, hour you wake up, but like earlier in the day before you sort of fatigue your mind or do it on a day, you know, later in the day where, where your day is not quite as mentally demanding. Yeah. So it's interesting. That's an interesting study. I'd love, I'd love to check that out. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I want to find it. Um, yeah. But speaking of the studies you mentioned, I'll try to put those and find those and put those in the show notes, but that's a, uh, that's 60%. That's an amazing number. Now you have done some uh, kind of experiments with yourself and with other people, right? Where you are doing Palmer cooling or not during the sets. What are some of the things that you found in some of the experiments yeah. that you've run? Yeah. So, you know, so after listening to that podcast and hearing that 60% number, uh, they got me very intrigued. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I got home, tried to find something to purchase <laughs> online, yeah. uh, do this. And, you know, the Stanford group um, had been developing this thing called the cool mitt for, and they de developed it years ago. And basically what it is, it's like this mitt system you put on. It's pretty elaborate. Um, it's got like a, a, a tube that runs through the mitt that's funneling cold water through it. It's connected to like, as a physios on here would know, like a, like a cryo cuff type cooler um, with, with, a, um, with those hoses connected to your mitt, right? And so it's circulating cool water through there. Um, so at the time I heard this, you know, there was, it wasn't even available yet. You were on a waiting list and um, I believe it's like 12 to $1,500 for one mitt. I was like, well, this is, this is, this is out of my price range. And uh, I don't want to wait nine months or whatever it was until this comes out. I want to try this now. Um, so that got me going down the rabbit hole of like kind of developing a prototype or just coming up with something to use. So I ended up coming up with my first, first prototype. I'm not an engineer, obviously. So I actually like joined a bunch of Facebook engineering groups and started talking to nerds on there about like what types of materials would be best and why. And so, so anyway, I get my first prototype and, and I'm like, okay, let's, let's see what, what happens here. And so the first test I wanted to do was because, because I didn't really hold those, that athlete doing that first test to like the same sets. I was like, I wanted to know like, Hey, if, if, if I'm only allowed to do seven sets on both days, like how many, how much more work would I get done? Right. Yeah. So, so I chose, I chose, and I, and then, and I also wanted to do the same for my first, my first big test. I just, I wanted to do the same work interval. So I, I did seven sets to failure of a seated uh, shoulder press. And I chose that. So as I fatigued, I wouldn't start using my hips and legs to get a little boost. I just wanted to see what my shoulders and arms were, were capable of. And I can really tell when I lock out. So it's just an easy, easy one to like hold yourself to a standard and not, and not cheat accidentally. So I did, I did that test on day one. It was a Sunday morning around 10. I kind of had, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do the same breakfast. I'm gonna do the same. I didn't have breakfast. I, you know, I had like a, a banana and a coffee, which is like a normal thing for me to before my workout. I do a lot of shoulder pressing. So it's something I'm already good at. So, um, yep. or decent, <laughs> decent at, right. Uh, but something I'm uh, accustomed to, I should say. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I did my seven sets to failure and I think I got like 125, 128 reps or something mm-hmm. over seven sets. So I wanted, I wanted it to be kind of high volume too. Uh, so my first set, I think I had like 28 reps or something. So it's was, it was kind of a, you know, a moderately lightweight, but I knew I would have like a pretty steep, like fatigue curve by going to sure. failure or failure. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so then I repeated it. I also want to know like, okay, like I'm going to repeat this the very next day when, when I probably should do worse if I'm doing the same exact at workout. You would uh, think so. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, nothing you can debate that, but that was my idea is like, okay, let's, let's see what, how I am in a fatigue state. Let's see what this, what the difference is really going to be. And so I did woke up, did the exact same kind of routine. And then I used my device uh, for the Palmer cooling during the three minutes and I got like 150 something reps. So I, it was, so it was actually, I think it calculated out to like a, I think it was an 18% bump in, in performance, yeah. which, you know, as, as a strength coach or physical, or anybody like that's, that's a pretty, you know, pretty awesome Im- improvement on that, on that very next day. And, you know, honestly, when I woke up that day too, I mean, I was, I was kind of sore from the workout before. I just don't, I don't train to failure seven times very often. Um, and uh, so my motivation to even do that workout was a little bit low. Um, so I was like, I was just really happy with the results there. And it got me thinking like, man, there's, there's something here. And I could kind of feel it. I could feel it when I would start that next set. I'm like, I just, I feel more recovered than when I was just kind of sitting there. But also three minutes of just sitting there and resting is also kind of, different than how I normally train. I would typically, you know, put in a circuit, either I'm doing like two exercises that are like a superset, or I might create like three exercises that don't negatively affect each other. Uh, so I felt like, you know, and then I felt also felt like, you know what, uh, this is supposed to help me regulate temperature, but by the end of three minutes, I felt pretty recovered just normally anyway, on day one, you know, I just mm-hmm. felt like, okay, that whole recovery process, at least for me was, was pretty efficient at yeah. a three rest interval. So my next test I did like a seated row, like a cable row. And, and I chose that because my knuckles could hit my ribs. I knew I was pulling it through a full range of motion. And so I could tell like when that was going to happen. And I also threw in like after I finished my set to failure, um, I threw in like a jumping lunge exercise to jack my heart rate up just to get some, some temperature going. Um, and then I only did a 60 second rest break on that. So I wanted to see what it would how, what the effect would be with a little bit shorter um, natural recovery and also a little bit shorter polymer cooling. And that workout was set up a little bit differently, but, but the comparison was a 30%, like a 28% bump in reps to failure. So that was significant. So, it, so yeah, so now, so now, so now I've got like two tests with my prototype giving me like, and I'm, you know, and this, I don't even have a business at the point, this point, this is just me being, you know, a nerd and trying to figure out if this stuff works. <laughs> um, 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 me seeing if this is like a, an effective tool. And, and, and also at the same time, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I, I'm a physical therapist, but I also train clients, probably 50% of my, my clinic time is actually training yeah. people. In the room. And I'm using it with them. And, and what I'm noticing is that they really gravitate towards, towards it. People, people love picking it up between their sets. Um, if I leave it on the floor and I'm just talking to them, they, 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 they step down, they step over and grab it off the floor. If I didn't hand it to them, um, further down the line, people were starting to like get kind of annoyed with me if I don't bring it to the training session. <laughs> so it was just something like, man, there's just something kind of like, you know, sticking your foot out from underneath the blanket. There's just something inherently here that we like. we like to use a system and we do use a system already. And they're definitely feeling an enhanced recovery going into that next set. And I'm, and I'm noticing that they're training a little bit harder than they had been when we, when we deploy that. What's going on code listeners, Dr. Andrew fix here. And I want to tell you about our friends at element element makes a tasty electrolyte drink with everything that you need and nothing that you don't. That means the science backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, and none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, 
no gluten, no fillers, no BS. And that's why I use it. I've been taking Element for two years now, and I absolutely love the stuff. And I wouldn't want to exercise without it. For all of you code listeners and friends of Physio Room, Element's offered a special to you guys, and I want you to take advantage of it. Go ahead and visit drinkelement.com slash physioroom. That's drinklmnt.com slash physioroom to receive that special offer. You're going to get a free variety pack with any purchase that you place. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Thanks so much. That is so interesting. And, you know, like you said, any physical therapist, any coach, I'll take an 18% improvement any day of the week, right? 18% is massive. You know, what is, what is something that we wouldn't want to be 18% better? I can't come up with an answer. So now, and I remember reading kind of both of those, you know, little experiments you did for yourself on, on the website. I'm going to, I'm going to do the same, do the same thing. I'm going to test them out and see, see what it shows. So I can give you that feedback, but how I've been using the um, anti-fatigue charge bar so far is kind of like you just said with some of your clients that you're uh, working with in the, in the facility is I've been holding it between uh, sets of exercises. What I have been doing is not necessarily holding it from the very beginning of the workout. Like during my, say I'm doing squats or something, I'm not necessarily holding it during my like warm up sets, but I'm holding it during my working sets. Like if I'm doing five sets of squats, I probably start holding it after my first or second set of five. And, um, but where I am noticing, I think the bigger difference for me is less in my ability to do more weight, but more in my ability to do more sets, right? More reps because, uh, and that's what makes more sense to me too. Um, you know, as you're describing these little tests that you have run, it sort of makes more sense that it might produce a bigger effect during the shorter rest break times. Like when you did the one minute compared to the three, because when your body is having less time to dissipate this heat, anything that you could do to potentially help it out you know, could only be maybe beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think that's a big thing to consider here. Like from the, from a physics standpoint, right. We don't accept cold. We dump heat. Yeah. That's what, you know, like our, my device is like, it's stupid, simple. It's, 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 it's simple, but it's designed for certain ways. Um, So we need to like leverage our ability to dump heat onto something and create that temperature gradient. Uh, We don't necessarily need like circulating cold water because that's kind of redundant. Like our body's like pushing blood through the palm and that's already circulating. And as that blood circulates through, it releases its heat. Right. That's why how this system works. Um, so that's why a, a super simple tool like this can be effective. And and seeing like the bigger improvement in in the shorter work interval also got me really excited about sports because because yeah, totally. most sports, you know, if there's timeouts or breaks between 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 play, like I said, I'm a basketball junkie. Like basketball just lines up perfectly for this because there's yeah. short breaks throughout the game, there's timeouts, um, there's times when a when a when an athlete can can do that. And then and then back to what you said about this is not going to help you lift more weight, more like higher amounts of weight in your training session, but this is going to allow you to maybe increase your work volume in a training session and then over a training um, cycle. Right. So what there's been a couple studies looking at like bench press and and, uh, a couple others, I think looking at like what happens over a training cycle of using Palmer cooling compared to not, and people end up with a a higher one rep max or, or, or calculated one rep max because they've increased their training volume over time. And so I think that's the big thing here. And um, I've been working with some NBA teams and there's uh, Klaus, uh, Klaus Souza 
out of from the Denver Nuggets near, near you. Um, he started playing around with this and he's 43, big, strong guy, like super fit. Um, so he started using this back in um, September, I think, or October of the, of 2022. Mm-hmm. He's, like, he's like, you know, and he's, he's sending me like heart rate data and everything all the time. And he's like, he's like, this is crazy, man. He's like, he's like, I just, he's like, I've gotten my heaviest back squat and my heaviest deadlift after my training cycle with this. So he PR'd at age 43. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and he, and he, he's like, he's like, honestly, he has no skin in the game or anything. He's like, he's like, the only thing I'm doing differently this year is Palmer cooling between my sets. And he's just getting more work volume in. And, you know, he's got a very regimented lifestyle and, and workout program. So, so we are seeing those gains happen, but it's from, this just allows you to work harder for longer in your workout. And then that extrapolate that over a training cycle and, and you're going to see incredible benefits. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's kind of my uh, motivation for using it too. I have some strength goals. Um, trying to see I'm 32 now, I'll be 33 later this year. And I'm trying to see if I can get back to some of my old uh, college football weightlifting PRs and honestly, not that, not that far off. So Squatting is actually the only one that I have not have not surpassed yet. So we're we're getting back to that. Yeah, we did a lot of squats in uh, in college football. So, but back to like what you were saying, the device that you have is pretty simple, right? It's a metal bar. It's a metal tube with two rubber kind of caps on each end. And the one that you sent me, from what I understand, this isn't how it was initially, but it has you you have a thermometer stuck through there, which is so cool because you can see what the temperature of the liquid inside of the water inside is. But um, how did you come upon like settling on, at least for the time being, that, you know, that piece of equipment? Yeah. So um, going back to coming home from that hike and trying to find something to buy there, I didn't find anything. And so um, I knew I wanted to have something that could fit both hands. I wanted to be able to cool both hands at once to maximize surface area. Um, I knew I wanted to be able to kind of like recool it whenever I needed to, like in the gym at a water fountain or whatever. Um, I didn't even know a water fountain at that time, but I, I knew I, the, the two hands at once was big to me and I wanted it to be affordable, obviously. And so I got onto those Facebook groups and I started talking to engineers about like, Hey, what am I looking for? I knew the concept. I was like, I want to be able to dump heat onto this thing, but not have it change its temperature very much. And they're like, oh, Kyle, if you don't remember in physics, there's a, there's a thing called specific heat. <laughs> there's a thing called specific heat capacity. And that's a measure of how much energy a material can take before it changes its t- own temperature, like one degree Celsius. So they're like, so find something with a high specific heat capacity and use that. And so, and then, you know, another uh guy was like but you also want it to be highly conductive right so high specific capacity but also highly conductive so materials that conductive just means that it won't just heat up right under your palm right but it will displace that heat along the whole surface area of that material so so plastic has a really high plastic has a really high specific heat capacity but it's not conductive at all so you will just like directly heat under your you'll heat up that plastic under your palm and that that heat won't get dispersed along the the rest of the material absolutely yep yep so so you start so when i started looking at different uh materials you know the metal uh, there's a couple metals out there that are safe to handle that also have a high specific heat capacity um so so the aluminum that i chose and the the thickness of it you know I, i played around with some different different you know, not shapes, but different thicknesses and all that to come up with our um, device. But aluminum has a very high specific heat capacity and it's highly conductive. So it was perfect. Um, And then, you know, and then another um, engineer was like, hey, you know, and you want to fill that thing with water so that that volume inside of it, if you fill that with water, water has one of the highest specific capacities of anything on earth. 
And that water will actually start, will also buffer a bunch of heat that you dump into it. And so, you know, so basically the, the, the way it works is like your body dumps heat into the aluminum, the aluminum dumps heat into the, the water. Um, and that allows it to stay as cool as possible for as long as possible, even though you're dumping heat into it compared to some other materials that you might pick. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And having yeah. that water inside of it, right. Makes that way more effective than if you were just holding a cool metal bar that was hollow on the inside, keeps it cool so much longer. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, okay, like I can even just switch that water around that kind of recools the, the, the edges of the bar. And so that was it. Yeah. So it was just, you know, it's just something you can clean really easy. Um, you know, I ended up getting the caps that I want. Um, and yeah, so it's just a, it's a simple, super effective tool that, yeah, I mean, after a while it heats up because you're dumping heat into it. But if you have a water source, like, so lucky enough for me, like, so we haven't talked about this yet, but like, we want this thing cool, not cold. Right. And so, the yeah. Other, and I want, I definitely want you to mention this. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so, you know, cause I hear a lot of people like, oh, I'm just going to grab, you know, a bag of ice or I'm going to have a, you know, frozen peas on my hand. I'm like, and, and, and again, more research needs to be done on all of this, but, but the idea here is that you, you don't want your nervous system to respond as if it is really cold out um, or it is, or you have your hand on ice, because what happens if you do that, you will vasoconstrict. So those blood vessels will shrink down and respond as if it is freezing cold. If you have it on freezing cold I and mean, in a freezing cold um, environment, um, and then you won't be circulating that blood through there. So the effective range that I found is probably 45 to 60 degrees. Dr. Um, Heller said like 50 to 60 is a sweet spot, but I, I found that most people like actually are responding really well around um, 45. And I think you can actually get a, a little bit of a custom to this too. Our sink at work is set at 42 degrees. I mean, that doesn't feel like too cold to me. So, you know, my, my easiest way to like explain this to people when they're finding their starting temperature is find something that doesn't feel uncomfortably cold. Like if it feels uncomfortable, put your hands on it. You're probably going to vasoconstrict because you're, you're perceiving it as too cold. So your nervous system probably is as well. Um, and then for, for our device, if you fill it to say, 40, if you get it set to 45 degrees, whether that's the water temperature or you take your water and you put it in a fridge and that's your starting point, you're going to get a really good, you're probably going to get like close to an hour before you get above that um, 60 degree mark. If you're using it intermittently between throughout your workout. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a really huge factor. I think is that like, it's not, you know, it doesn't feel uncomfortably cold and that we're not using like, again, we're not using frozen things here to, to induce Palmer cooling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a really good point because I've been noticing very similar thing. Um, like I told you, uh, I've been keeping the, charge bar in the refrigerator at, uh, at the clinic or gym that I do most of my training in. And what I've been doing is taking it out and, you know, I don't exactly know what the temperature is of, it's like one of those little mini fridges, right? So it's not necessarily telling you the temperature. It's like, what level of coldness do you want to set? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's been, it's been coming out of the refrigerator somewhere in like the 37 degree range. And if I grab it at that time, it feels too cold to yeah. be comfortable to hold in between sets, especially if you're wanting to maybe hold it for a minute or whatever. Like it's a little uncomfortable yeah. to hold that yeah. for 60 seconds when it's 37 degrees. So I've been taking it out, letting it kind of warm up to closer to that 45 degrees. And um, what I actually did yesterday, cause I, I forgot to grab it before, you know, when I was doing my warm up, And then I was like, I was like, you said, some of your athletes are like, why didn't you bring this to the gym? I was like, oh shoot, I left it in the, in the refrigerator. So I went and grabbed it, 
But what I was doing was um, I was kind of wrapping my t-shirt around it and holding it through the t-shirt. And um, and it was much warmer by doing that instead of just holding it straight on the skin on the metal. But um, but yeah, it definitely seems like that slightly warmer, cool temperature, not freezing cold temperature works a little bit better. And, you know, from like a science standpoint, right? It, it makes sense. You don't want the vasoconstriction to happen because that's not going to help you get blood flow to the tissues that you need to do work. And you just need the temperature to be cooler than the blood flow that is circulating through those AVA uh, sections. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know that even, you know, there's, a, I think there's some research showing like that top end range of like 60 degrees, which if you started at 42, 60 doesn't feel very cold anymore. Mm-hmm. But, if walk, but if you walked up and grabbed just something that was 60 degrees and you didn't have that kind of like pre-cooling already, you'd be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and showing like really good results at 60. And so I, you know, I tell people like, they're like, oh, it's getting too warm too fast. I'm like, I'm like 60 degrees feels warm, but it's yeah. still, you're still having, and you think your body's, you know, at minimum 97, 98 degrees. And if you're working out, it's probably a little higher than that. That's a yeah. huge, that's a nice big temperature gradient to, to totally. really create that, that, that thermal dump. So, mm-hmm. um, so, so, and that, and that, and that, again, going back to this really simple tool, no, there's no internal like cooling system. There's nothing because if we did all that, it turns into the Stanford unit. That's just not super practical, right? The cool mitt is, is big and clunky and, you know, people, you know, like the big argument you hear is like, okay, this research came out in like 2010. And if it works, why isn't everyone doing it um, already? And, and honestly, I think people were just kind of overthinking how to, how to do this. Um, and we had this like really fancy tool that just seemed like, you know, for the lay person or for, for the person, you know, for like us who are just kind of normal people like who like to train and work out, like uh, that's just not a, a realistic thing. And then if you look at it, it's just, I'm, even if I could afford it, I'm not going to carry that thing around the gym and have two of them just for each hand and, and like on the sidelines of an NBA or college game, they're not going to do that. It just, it just, it just changes the normal flow too much, but the science is there and other, and other, you know, universities have kind of backed it up that like, Hey, yeah, there's an, there's definitely an effect here if you can find a way to deploy it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's awesome. And, you know, just like anything, if you can find a more practical or simple way to apply it, right. That's, that's a lot of times where, where the rubber meets the road, right. Is if we have information that makes sense and, you know, you know, things work. Well, yeah. the, the hard part is finding a way to apply it and implement it. Right. And if you can't implement it, it at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. So yeah, having something like this, that's easy to implement, you know, doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't take a lot of effort to to put this into your rest breaks or anything like that and um one thing that i've kind of noticed too is you know i think the science the science makes great sense to me like in my head i'm like in any time i have something that like i understand it i'm like that makes sense I'm like how can i then start doing this which is you know why i started doing ice baths and i spend time in the sauna and whatnot you know is it fun to hop in there no it's not that fun but i i know that there's science to back it up so i'm like well i'm gonna do this but the other thing that I notice when I am in between my sets, I finished my set, um, like I was doing a circuit yesterday and um, I train in a similar fashion to you. It sounds like where a lot of times what we do in this gym is we'll have a warm up, we'll have a strength component where it is more of like that, you know, you lift, you take a rest break, you lift, you take a rest break during your sets of squats. But then the rest of the workout is more in a circuit format, metabolic conditioning, where for the most part, the uh, successive exercises aren't affecting negatively the other ones before it too much. 
And then, uh, you know, it's like, okay, you do four rounds in, in a 15 minute time interval or something. And, um, what I was doing yesterday was I was finishing my four exercises and then I was holding the bar for like 45 to 60 seconds. And then I did that each time I went through and, um, there's becoming to me like something slightly ritualistic about it. Like, okay, I'm grabbing it because it's cool. But what I'm noticing I'm also doing while I'm holding that is I'm paying more attention to my breath. I'm paying attention to trying to slow down my breath and, you know, breathe through my nose and just like try to let my body recover. And I know that was something that I always did a lot of during, um, I used to run a track in high school and collegiately. And, you know, the more that you can recover during those short intervals, during your workouts, the more you can slow your breathing down, slow your heart rate down, the more intervals of work you're able to do right before you get too fatigued. So that's what I'm also noticing is I'm like, I'm just more aware of trying to let my body recover during those recovery periods. Yeah. And I would, I would say like, there might be a, you know, I don't know if you track your heart rate during this, but what, you know, and there's some research to show this now too, is that 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 dumping of heat allows us, allows our heart rate to recover a little bit quicker. So getting back to your baseline or target heart rate that you want to call your recovery heart rate is happening mm -hmm. at a steeper slope than if you're not palm or cooling. So that dumping of the heat takes a little bit of the stress off the body. So, you know, and I try to do nasal breathing too, especially during my recovery, but if your heart rate is jacked up, it's really hard to do that or your respiration rates up. It's really hard to like, you know, push that air in and out of your nose. Uh, yeah. But if our heart rate has started to come down faster, that might allow it. But but I agree, like, you know, um, you know, as I train clients, a lot of times there's, there's pressure as a trainer to like, keep them busy. And really, yeah. I want, and I really want them to pay attention to like, Hey, like we worked really hard. I need you to rest for this long, right? We're actually going to do twice as much rest as work today. And so I really try to be good about this. And honestly, as a, as a personal, when I'm doing like my personal training, like this really allows me to like, for them, they're like, Oh, okay. They have this like thing that they're doing actively. Like this is like the act of recovery, um, as I, as I dump heat. And so I really want to like take advantage of that. So it allows people to kind of like chill out mm -hmm. and just be okay with not having every second of that hour with me, like filled yeah. with something. I'm like, Hey, our next set's going to be way better if we dump heat and we actually take this rest period. So I would say that I, I feel very similarly that it's like, it's actually like, a, a, you know, a ritual in that, you know, we just get more intentional about what we're doing between those, those efforts. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's definitely what I'm noticing. And, you know, especially if, you know, your goals are, you know, strength related, right. I think, you know, I think like the rest breaks, like you talked about is, I think that's one of the reasons or one of maybe the, I don't know if I want to say downfalls, because there's a lot of successful pieces about like group fitness, exercise classes type of things. But those classes are not typically designed to get people strong, right? Yeah. To like build a lot of strength because totally. there's they're usually done in a more circuit kind of ongoing format and there's much less rest breaks than there is work time. Well, you need rest breaks in order to actually get strong and powerful and do things to your highest percentage capacity. So no, I think it makes great sense. I think uh, I really appreciate you uh, hopping on here and and talking about this. What I would love for you to do, um, since I know you got to get your kiddos to school, and um, but I want people to be able to check this out, right? So where can, Kyle, people find you guys? You know, what's the website? What's the yeah. social media? Where can people find this so they can try it out for themselves? Yeah, so our device is, um, we sell it on our online store. It's avacooling.com. So A-V-A cooling.com. Um, and I have links to some of this research that we're discussing and some other, other research. 
and you can buy like an individual unit. We have team packs for, for teams that are interested in this. And then on social media, you know, Instagram, TikTok, it's Ava Cooling Technology, all written out. So Ava Cooling Technology um, at whatever that social media is, and you'll find us. Um, and we're, we're pretty active on there posting, you know, about the different teams and athletes that are using it. But also like, you know, when people, yeah. you know, tell us different unique ways that they might be using it. You know, we've got people who are dealing with post-COVID long haul symptoms and their heart rate gets too out of control during exercise. So it's allowing them. Uh, we've got firefighters using it when they go off when they come off the line and they've used too much oxygen and they're, and they're forced to take a rest break before going back on the fire. They're, they're using it to get their biometrics back under control. So we're seeing a lot of different people from a lot of different avenues. I mean, right off the bat in your, in your podcast today, you know, you mentioned that this might be more something for people who are, are really fit and kind of nerding out about it. But there's actually an awesome study by Dr. Stacy Sims when she was at Stanford. She took a group of 24 sedentary obese females who were tr- just getting into fitness and I won't get into the weeds of it for basically like the group that deployed Palmer cooling, you know, had, had, had lowered their BMI. They did more work. They had higher. Um, so basically like every outcome measure improved more in the, mm. in the Palmer cooling group. So this is allowing people to tolerate exercise more, which makes sense. And that's, and that's yeah. on any spectrum. So if you're just starting, you know, and, and temperature and you're, and you're overweight and, and temperature might affect you even more. Right to the, to the elite athlete who needs like that last few percentage points of improvement to like, you know, go from a silver to a, to a bronze medal, to a gold medal. Like, so you're, you can see it across the board, body yeah. temperature, body temperature and regulation of it is something that we all need to consider as humans and athletes. It's not for the elite. It's for, it's for everybody. Cause we're all dealing with this. It's just, it's just a byproduct of exercise. And it's, you know, I don't want to go too long here, but like, you know, back when I was in high school, you know, I'm 44. So in high school in the nineties, people were still like, you had to be rewarded with a hydration break during practice. Right. So yeah. like, yeah. like, like I didn't have a water bottle, like every once in a while, the coach would be like, okay, you guys can get a drink of water now. And now people would be like, that's, that's kind of crazy. Like we should hydrate as we need to. Right. Yeah. Um, I think in 20 years, this is where temperature regulation is going to be like, people are gonna be like, of course we temperature regulate. Like, why would you not do that? It's such a yeah. huge component of fatigue. Like, yeah, go, yeah. Cool yourself off. Like find a way to dump heat. Um, so I think that's where we're going. You know, and one last thing I wanted to mention, because um, we're getting a lot of attention from this, from the teams that are working with us. Yeah. You, know, you, mentioned, you mentioned earlier, Andrew, too, about like the best time to work out. So if we talk to sleep scientists, they're going to tell you that working out in the morning is probably the best time to exercise from a sleep standpoint, because your body has the rest of the day to kind of get back to homeostasis. And a big part of that is how long it takes our body to body temperature to go back down after exertion. Yeah. Right. right. Um, well, most of our athletes and, and many adults, like if they even like adult leagues, but even like the NBA, NCAA athletes, you know, a lot of them are practicing and, and more importantly, like uh, performing or competing at night, mm-hmm. which is probably yeah. worse time from a sleep standpoint to then try to go home and like, hell, you just like played a basketball game in front of 20,000 people. Like now try to go to sleep right on time. Yeah. Um, and so not only like hormonally are they elevated, but temperature they're elevated. And so uh, we've created a sleep protocol where these people, when you get home, like you immediately start rolling because you're going to be like eating and you're going to be, you know, texting and playing video games or whatever with your hands, start rolling that bar on the palm or on the glabrous skin of your feet. 
right? Um, and get a good dose of like cooling on your feet. And then when you get into bed, hold the bar for a little bit longer. Um, and we're hearing like awesome results. Like some of our teams are kind mm. of um, assigning these to the athlete to take home who struggles with, with temperature um, or, or struggles with just falling asleep. Um, and so I think that's a, that's another way that this, we can deploy this physiology or at least educate people. I'm like, Hey, you know, don't, don't cover your head, get your hands out, stick your feet out. Like there's a reason we do this, but, but even maybe even enhance it more with like a, a cooling device. So I just want to make yeah. sure that um, that's something people kind of look into. And we need research on this stuff. This is like, you know, just in general, this whole idea is under-researched right now. And we need to like these parameters of like, how, what's the best work? What's the best ratio? Like I'm, we're finding 60 to 90 seconds creates a bigger difference between groups than a three minute, right. right. For the reasons that we talked to, but, but, you know, I think there's a lot of parameters that we need to like really um, hash out here. But right now, I mean, we're just, we're just, you know, we're, I'm having a blast doing this and like, we're just getting like uh, people from all walks of life and all different types of sports and activities who are, are reporting improvement. I think that's awesome. And you know, that sleep stuff that you just talked about, I mean, it makes great sense to me because yeah, if our body temperature is too high, we struggle to sleep and we struggle to get rest. Um, so yeah, anything you could do to kind of call calm or cool, cool that yep. down, you know, that can only kind of be beneficial. Yep. I think that's a brilliant uh, yep. idea to try that. There was one question, not question, yeah. one thing that came to mind. I don't know why, when you were describing this about like, okay, I was on this hike. I wanted to come home and figure out some way to, to do this. I don't know why I was just picturing you like running your hands under cold water in between sets of push-ups or something like, oh, how am I going to cool my hands down? Let me just stick them under the sink here. And um, before you found something to actually use to hold yeah. on to, to do this. And, you know, when you guys go check out the, um, you know, the website and and look at these things, you know, what it reminded me of was like an oversized version of like a baton that I used to hold in track and field, right? It's a, you know, little metal or well, it was plastic or metal in track, but it's like a larger around, which it was a little bit bigger than I expected it to be when it arrived in the mail when you sent it. But makes sense because, you know, I'm five foot nine. I'm not like a seven foot NBA player in it for someone like that to have both hands on it at the same time that probably has larger hands than I do. It needs to be decent size so you can get both hands on it at the same time and have it touch the entire surface of your hand. Um so yeah, it's like an oversized track baton with yeah. rubber caps on each end. Very simple and uh, easy to tote around. Doesn't doesn't take a lot of space up in your gym bag or anything like that. So exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just you know, again, that that more the more surface area, the longer it's going to take to heat up. The more volume inside, the longer it's going to take to heat up. So I think we just kind of you know, and then you know, I, I do have a couple like seven foot two guys. I think they're like, hey, this could be a little bit bigger, but like I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're the outliers yeah yeah most of us like this is actually and most even most basketball players are finding it it's just it's a it's fine um but uh but yeah i think That's it funny. kind of like it's kind of the sweet spot of like um maximizing you know how much energy you can put into it but not being so big that it's like too cumbersome to carry around yeah totally well again kyle thank you so much yeah. for for hopping on here uh i hope you have an awesome rest of your day but really yeah. appreciate your time talking about this, talking about uh, Ava cooling technology and Palmer cooling. And again, for all of you guys that tuned in to listen to this episode, thank you so much. If you uh, have listened to other episodes, you've heard me say this before, we are trying to get this podcast out to more and more people. So please hop on to whatever podcast platform you're at, whether it's up at the top or the bottom, drop us a review on there. We're trying to get up to 200 five-star reviews on this podcast so we can get it in front of more eyes and ears. So thank you so much for that. And Kyle, thanks again, man. Have an awesome day. 
Yeah, thanks for the invite, man. It was awesome talking to you. Absolutely, my pleasure. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode of The Code. Thanks. <laughs>